Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. One of our Harvard Business Review tips is to evaluate whether the latest digital trend is worth adopting. So it's always so much coming out all the time. Do we go ahead with it? Well, we'll give you a few clues there. We're also talking with Christina uh, with our Minute on Innovation. We're looking at uh, artists living and working in the same habitat. But right now we're going to go over to AV Chartered Accountants, have a chat with Tony Vidray. Good afternoon, Tony. Hello, Julian. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And I, can answer, I can answer that question about um, going digital, and um, all I can say is... Uh, Don't. Through, through, <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't going to say that. Uh, through experience about what we're going through now, be very, very careful that you set up all your processes and systems, because we've had a few things that have uh, gone pear-shaped, and we were just discussing them no more than about 10 minutes ago. And I presume you're talking telephones too. Uh, no, 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 just sending, trying to send returns out through secure portals and things oh, okay. like that. So, yeah, so it's, it's, all, it's all great. The theory's fantastic on paper and in emails, but when you go to do the practicality of it, it can, uh, yeah, there's some interesting things that can go pear-shaped. So. And, and we've just been having uh, out-of-time record on there, so we should remind our listeners that uh, BAS statements are due on the 28th of uh, October. Um, so that's only a few weeks away now. And it's also... only a few weeks away. Yeah, that's right. Um, it is 28th of October if you lodge by paper, but if okay. you lodge electronically, if you have your own Auskey or if you lodge electronically through your uh, BAS agent or tax agent, there is an extension through until um, the, uh, the 25th of November. You do get an extra few weeks for that. I'm still paper. Well, you're definitely 28th of October, and you'll probably, you'll probably control your cash flow a little bit better than those who defer it to the end of November and who have no money. And, and also do my own tax return, which that also has to be in by the 30th of October. 31st of October, yeah, correct. Yep, yeah. you'll, you'll hear all sorts of things in the next few weeks about um, your return is due by the 31st of October. If you're on a tax agent list, it's not due 31st of October. Unless, <laughs> unless you're naughty and you haven't lodged for a few years, then then yes, it is. But yeah, if you're on a tax agent list, then you, you do get a bit of an extension. Well, the tax office has already sent me a, re- a friendly reminder, so that's... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the little <laughs> the passive-aggressive tone in their letters. <laughs> yeah. Click here, it said. Click here to lodge your return. <laughs> ah. All right, so we're going to talk today about reasonable travel allowances. Yeah, I thought we'd um, have a chat about this. I think we mentioned it last month yes. um, and some interesting uh, developments in this area. Every every year the tax office issues a ruling in the uh, the last week of June or the first week of July to say, um, you know, these are the, the reasonable travel and overtime meal allowances that we'll consider that will allow people to pay um, for the for the coming financial year, for the 16, 17 years. So this was born out of a very interesting scenario where... It was before the internet, so it was very, very hard um, to get your hand on any of these sort of, you know, rulings, particularly private rulings were private. They weren't made um, public. Um, you know, tax assessors used to have their own sort of handbook, so you never really knew what they were what they were no. doing and what they were looking for. And, and also, this is also in an era where tax officers used to physically go out and audit people, you know, face-to-face. So typically someone would be in Sydney, they'd send them to Newcastle for a, a week or two to audit, you know, a handful of businesses up here. So what the public servants would get, they'd get this sort of this reasonable um, uh, overnight allowance. And uh, once the accounting and tax industry got a hold or found out about it, they went, well, that's not re- very fair. How come the public servants can do it? How come... Um, you know, normal private businesses. Why can't we do it um, as well? So that's really where the ruling came from. Okay. So now it applies to, to everyone. So the typical scenario is here, and let's just say I'll reverse the scenario. Let's say I have a, 
a staff member who uh, we enrol in a seminar for two days um, in Sydney, so um, I can you know, pay a lot of those costs direct. But I can also read off this ruling and say, look, here, here have some, here's a bucket of money, and, and the Sydney uh, amount is roughly $310, and that includes um, accommodation, food and drink, and what they call incidentals, so things like parking and tolls and all that sort of stuff. So here, have two lots of $310. Um, they get that amount in cash. They don't pay tax on it. Um, they then get to spend it any which way they like and um, there's no receipt. So from my point of view as an employer, I get to claim that as a seminar cost or, or a uh, travel um, cost. It, doesn't, it does not go on the, the employee's um, payment summary and the ruling is pretty clear that, they, that you know, the, the employee does not need receipts. Now, something very interesting happened about, <clears throat> about 10, 12 years ago. They changed the wording in the ruling ever so slightly um, and I didn't pick up on it until about three or four years later, they, they changed the words to say, um, rather than say, we won't need any receipts whatsoever, they inserted a, a couple of lines to say, you still may need to prove your claim. Uh. And I thought, well, hang on, this is now um, this circular you know, language that I talk about. You don't need to, to, to prove your claim, but hang on a minute, you do need to prove your claim. And where, what I found out was that what was happening was there were a lot of taxpayers who were paying themselves or paying their staff, um, in that example, $310 a day, five days a week for about 48 you know, weeks a year to say, oh, I have to go down to Sydney and I'm down there all the time. I don't need receipts. So as usual, as soon as the system starts getting abused, um, they tighten up on it. So you still have to prove that, that you actually went down to Sydney and that you stayed overnight. Okay, so somewhere along the line you have to come up with some form of proof that you went down there. Now, what we've been advising people is um, remove the accommodation component out of that. Let the employer, so I'm actually, as the employer, I'm actually paying the accommodation. Oh, yeah. So that, that's prima facie proof that you were down there for two days and, and then give them the, the, the meal and the, um, the incidentals. That, that, to me, is the way the ruling works a lot better. Okay. So, um, so that ruling's been around for a long, long time. But again, as I said, I, I've seen, and I, and I actually saw a couple of cases where um, you know, accountants are journalising these amounts in. They're not physically paying the amount out. The tax office have come out and said, no, 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 we're not, we're not entertaining any of that. They need to be genuine um, trips that, are, that require the employee to, to spend an overnight stay away from home. The employer pays that amount to the employee. It's in accordance with the ruling. None of this journalising, none of this sort of estimating, oh, yeah, I was down there for 107 days um, uh, for, the, uh, for the year. So there's a little bit of... Um, mm. A little bit of grey area that I'm seeing there in some of the uh, in some of the uh, the advisory that, um, areas that, I'm, that um, some people are receiving. We're talking about extended stays. Um, what now if I want to live away from home? Supposing I get a flat down in Sydney, can I claim that? And yeah. can I, what happens if that's, I drive down on a Sunday? Yeah, that's now that's that's this is where it starts to get really interesting and starts to get complicated. So these what what the tax office says in one of their rulings is that if you travel. Um, and in that example where you travel down to Sydney for a, for a seminar, they'll treat anything under 21 days as an actual travel allowance. So everything that I've just mentioned about giving it to the employee, giving an amount to the employee, that's fine. Anything over 21 days, they start to put in the category of living away from home. So this, this scenario um, happens quite often where um, let's say that we win a, you know, a job down in Sydney and it requires one of my employees to be down there for 12 months of the year, say it's mm. a, an ongoing audit or something like that. So they have to move away from their, their, with their usual principal place of residence. They might take their family with them, they might not. 
and all of a sudden we might put them up into you know rental accommodation. Now there's some rules around that to say, look, if they're if they're down there for you know 12 months, it is it's not a travel allowance; it's a living away from home allowance because that's what they're doing. Um, living away from home allowances, all of a sudden the rules flip away from the employer back to the employer, and it becomes a fringe benefit because you're paying for accommodation for the employee. Now, there's some interesting rules around that to say, well, look, if they're away from their principal place of residence for under a year and the employee signs a declaration to say that you know, their principal place of residence is here in Newcastle and the only reason that they're in Sydney for 12 months is because of their work, um, we'll, we'll, find, we'll accept it. Where it starts to get really, really messy and it's, it's not for us to discuss over... Over, uh, over the radio, over the phone, is where it gets it gets this fly and fly in around uh, arrangement. So there's um, you know remote areas, there's camping sites, all that sort of stuff. It gets very very um, complicated. To answer your question specifically, I actually had a client many years ago who was a uh, a pilot and who flew out of Bankstown. And what happened was he lived up here, and on a Sunday night he would travel down to Sydney and stay in a unit. Um, in uh, close to uh, Bankstown. Now, I looked into it at the time and every answer that I could possibly come up with was no, it's not deductible because at the end of the day, it's, you're, you're doing that as a convenience. You're just trying to move closer um, to where your place of work is. Now, interestingly enough, that was about well, 15 years ago. In the last 12 months, there have been a couple of cases um, that have been decided, one against an accountant of all people, um, where that exact scenario happened, they were just trying to live a little bit closer to where they work regularly, and the tax office said exactly that. Sorry, it's not a deduction. You're not living away from home. You're merely trying to be a little bit closer to you where you this. work, and so therefore it's it's a completely private um, arrangement. Mm, okay, all right. Fantastic. Well, thanks for that. Right, I might just finish with one thing too, and this, this is something that people might want to have a bit of a think about. Employees are not allowed to claim um, in their tax returns um, deductions for meal allowances unless they actually receive a meal allowance in the first place. So some conversations I've been having now with employers is why don't you actually pay them a meal allowance? Because because you know, we're, we're, we're actually quite hard-working um, people, we're Australians. You read any statistic and um, you know, we, we work past 6 o'clock, all that sort of stuff. There's a whole series of awards that say if you work past 6 o'clock, you're entitled to a meal allowance. So mm. I don't quite understand why employers aren't saying, well, look, you know, we'll pay you a, a meal allowance and then the employee can actually claim that meal allowance um, because they're genuinely working past... Um, 6 o'clock and need to spend money on food. Fantastic, yeah. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time. We'll have a chat again on the uh, first week in November. No, no, I'm overseas in November, sorry. Okay. I meant to tell you that off air, so it won't be November. We'll chat with you in December when you come back then. December, that's it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Tony Vidray there from AV Chartered Accountants. Those important things, travel allowance, living away allowance. We'll come back with more in a moment. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. It's coming up to 27 minutes past one. Time to have our minute on innovation with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you this week? Very well, thank you. So you've been up Byron Bay and you've found an interesting artist's working habitat. Yes, I have. Look, I went, I went, was there up there um, doing a talk and a workshop yesterday and I ended up going for a, um, a walk through an arts and industry estate. And what it is, is that there's a series of shops and outlets, so they're clothing, bedding, linen, babywear, metalwork, leather, you know, etching, jewellery, 
furniture, you name it. Um, but there are warehouses that have been um, – there where the artisans are living upstairs in, you know, very lofty studio kind of accommodation. And there's storage area and shop fronts on the downstairs. And, and you know, potentially there's storage area upstairs. But the other interesting thing as well – so they've made use of all these empty warehouses, this empty space that was happening, but now they're purpose-building – um, there's a $10 million business hub under construction. It's called Habitat, um, and it's socially environmentally um, a socially environmentally progressive village environment. So what they're doing is they're putting a residential component and a commercial precinct across five acres, full fibre MBN, cafes, retail spaces, um, meeting rooms, video conferencing, etc. You name it. Stroll to the beach. Um, but what they and loft this again, this loft style accommodation um, for the artisans and the business people to live upstairs. Everything's eco friendly. They've got electric car charge points planned, rainwater harvesting, solar power, etc. Um, the interesting thing, Julian, is that it's not going to be finished for another eighteen months, and they've already been inundated with inquiries from Melbourne and Sydney of people who want to chase that that um, world by balance. Yeah, you know, sea change, but also the balance. And the, yeah. you now there's a great sign going into Byron, going, you know, you can chill out or chill in. So, and they've got a very entrepreneurial culture up there. Lots of um, entrepreneurial businesses have been started. But it reminded me of um, when I visited Railway Arts Precinct, which is a forty minute train ride out of New York City. They're doing the same thing. So they're inviting artisans to come in and live um, at a cheaper rent because, you know, New York, New York City is so expensive and the, and the rents at railway are, you know, a third of what the rents in New York City are. But they're also asking the artisans to bring in their own communities and to help um, art up, I guess, the community, which led me to think, you know, Newcastle Community Arts Centre mm. needs a new home desperately because um, the building's been reclaimed by the owners. Uh, in January next year, we have so many empty buildings, empty warehouse areas, you know, huge, huge empty areas, and I, I won't name them for, for commercial yeah. reasons, whatever, but we could easily adapt a model that is already working in other areas um, and bring this whole flavour of creative industries in its true sense industry. I'm not just talking about painters and, and ceramicists, even though they're extremely valued in the community, but we're talking about, you know, the manufacturing mm. component as well, um, and we could very well create these artisan communities. Great idea. Well, thanks very much for your time again. We're, we're a bit out of time at this moment, so uh, we'll have a chat with you again next week. I look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with an idea from... Uh, Byron Bay, and obviously ideas come from all sorts of areas. It's time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips, and as we said earlier, evaluate whether that latest digital trend is worth adopting. No company wants to pass up on useful innovation, but given the current pace of technological change, how do you know that the next revolutionary trend isn't just going to be a costly distraction? When deciding where and when to invest in technologies like artificial intelligence, virtual reality and biometrics, consider whether the new technology does one of the following in a unique way. Firstly, does it eliminate customer pain? Know your customer's biggest pain points and assess whether the new technology alleviates them. Secondly, elevates customer service. Any new technology should materially improve customer service. Introducing something new should enable better delivery of the core components of your brand promise. And finally, creates a differentiated, personalised customer experience. Does the technology create a purchase experience that's unique to each customer? 
So it's interesting. We do certainly see that technology advancing and we don't necessarily have to just jump on it all the time. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, travel allowances with Tony Vidray and uh, artist living and working habitat with Christina. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to have a chat with uh, Craig McGregor about is it the end of full-time jobs? We'll also talk with Christina on innovation and have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company for the same time next week for Business, The Law and You. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Dale Carnegie once said, flaming enthusiasm backed up by horse sense and persistence is the quality that most often makes for success.